Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm glad you joined us today. As we begin today, can I ask a quick favor? Here at Open Your Eyes, you aren't plagued with ads during our episodes. So we rely on you to share this podcast to get the word out. You know, when you share it, you could say something like, I just listened to this. I really liked it. And I thought you might want to listen to it as well. It just may be what your friend needs in their life today. Okay, let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the peaks and valleys you experience in life. Just a few weeks ago, a series of ferocious storms raced across Tornado Alley. Tornado Alley is a 10-state area of the Midwest and South that attracts the most tornadoes as compared to any other place in the world. The 50 tornadoes recently left 24 people dead. Four people were killed in Wynn, Arkansas, in a tornado so powerful that it peeled the turf off the high school's football field. Seven people died in McNary County, Tennessee, when a tornado touched down and traveled the entire distance of the county. A tornado forms from large thunderstorms, and inside these thunderclouds, warm, humid air rises and cool air falls, along with rain or hail, and these conditions can cause spinning air currents inside the cloud. And although the spinning currents start to move out horizontally, they can also turn vertical and drop down from the cloud, becoming a tornado. The winds inside a spinning column of some tornadoes are the fastest winds on Earth. They've been clocked at over 300 miles per hour. In a 2011 super outbreak of hundreds of tornadoes, 300 people would be killed. It is still the deadliest tornado outbreak in history. Not long ago, Jetty Yusin, a 53-year-old resident of the Algiers neighborhood in New Orleans, knew there was a bad storm coming. She also knew she was going to be at home weathering the storm for several days, so she jumped on her bike and headed down the street to quickly shop for the food she needed and head back home. Well, the storm circling overhead as Jetty pedaled to the store that day would produce three major tornadoes that would kill three people, injure dozens of others, and destroy millions of dollars in property. Pedaling along, Jetty felt her bicycle wiggle and shake, with the wind pulling at her bike. At first, she thought, am I getting a flat tire? So she got off the bike, and the power of the wind immediately increased, and the sounds of the wind got louder and louder, and the debris in the wind started to hit Jetty in the face. Then, suddenly, the wind swept the bike out from under her grip. It flew up into the air and was just gone. As she turned to find shelter, she was suddenly picked up off the ground. As she flew through the air, turning over and over, she was certain she would die. Tossed in the wind, she landed three building lots away. When she landed, Jetty said a black car came tumbling out of the sky toward her. The black Tesla, tossed about by the tornado, landed on top of her. After realizing that she was still alive, Jetty pulled herself out from underneath the car. Her pelvis was shattered and her wrist broken. As the torrential rain fell around her, she said so did the electrical lines. Fortunately, a young man was watching from a home across the street, and he came running to help. I looked up, and the rain was pouring so heavily down on my face, Jetty said. 
Between the tears and the pain and the bleeding, I asked the young man, please, son, don't let this electrical line hit us. Well, Jetty credits many factors for her being alive today. The young man, the way she landed when she fell to the earth, the way the car fell in a way that spared her life, and she credits God, most of all, for giving her a second chance to live. Jennifer Collins took her kids to the middle of her house, the laundry room, when a tornado touched down outside their home. The tornado destroyed her house entirely and picked up Jennifer and her children, carrying them 250 feet. Luckily, the laundry room floor where they were standing remained intact, keeping the small family together. They all lived. Chris Tuvang said, I had gone to the local Little Caesars Pizza to buy a pizza for the football game. While I was waiting for my pizza, the tornado hit the shopping center and sucked me out of the building. I was literally floating inside the tornado. I was thrown onto a truck. I tried holding onto the hood of the truck, but there was nothing to hold onto, and I ended up on the ground holding onto the left front tire until the tornado passed. The tornado had sustained winds of 140 miles an hour, and it was 1,300 yards wide at its base. Well, like Jetty and Jennifer and Chris, we too get tossed about from time to time by the winds of life and circumstances that blow around us. Sometimes we get moved about in ways we don't want, and the outcome of these ups and downs in life always aren't easy and are disruptive. Along the road of life, there are peaks and valleys, highs and lows, and peace and lack of peace in our life. There is a simple truth. There are peaks and valleys in life. For example, last year, I remember reading an article. Here's what it said. The drought that has parched California and the American West for much of the last two decades ranks as the driest 22-year period in at least 1,200 years. Other articles talked about lakes like Lake Mead being at its lowest levels, the Sierra Nevada mountains having record lows in snowfall, and in my area, we had water restrictions for the last two summers. Based on our view at the time and my view at the time, we wondered if we would ever be able to water lawns and gardens again. People living in California wondered if they would ever have water to drink or live. It's funny, isn't it? In the midst of drought, how our perspective changes. Then came this year, 2023. California has had 17 major storms since December. We're now using a new term called atmospheric river. This year, California and the West has had record rain and snowfall, the highest on record. Snow totals at ski resorts in the Sierra Nevadas have reached unheard of heights. Mammoth Mountain has received 702 inches of snow. That's almost 58 feet of snow in a single season. The mountains in Utah are in a similar record snowfall condition. Water levels in many Nevada reservoirs are near or above normal. Bridgeport Reservoir and Topaz Lake are full. Here's the point. Our life is full of peaks and valleys, highs and lows. Sometimes we're in a dry season that looks like things will never get better. Conditions may seem destined to remain fixed. The stock market will never rise. Inflation will never subside. Your business won't ever grow. And you'll never be able to overcome a behavior or habit. And our view in these valleys can be debilitating if we buy in to that thinking. 
Conversely, the view at life's peaks are just as warped. At peaks in life, we think the market will always grow, our business will always be strong, and the sun will always shine. And our view at the peak, that we can always stand atop of life circumstances, can cause us to overlook the reality that valleys are, in fact, coming. And this is a critically important fact, that in the peaks and valleys in life, we can open our eyes and see that it's natural for everyone, everywhere, to have peaks and valleys in work and business and life. Perhaps you have a son or daughter that seems unable or unwilling to set their life straight as a teenager, or a two-year-old who has turned into a monster. In these times, it's easy to blame yourself as a parent. But two-year-olds grow and teenagers learn. And I've seen my children change and grow, and I've come to know that all change takes time. So, in the valleys and on the peaks, how do we keep the right perspective, and how do we learn to fill the valleys and minimize the peaks? Well, famous author Spencer Johnson teaches the first step to making this happen is to see that you can change your valley into a peak when you find and use the good that is hidden in the bad times in the valley. This isn't always easy, but I agree with him. There is often good hidden in the bad times that come our way. You know, Becky was content in life. She had married a man she truly loved and had been blessed with two beautiful daughters. They had a business and were enjoying the fruits of their labors with weekend trips to the mountains and camping, which was one of their favorite activities. When their girls were three and seven years old, they had escaped to the mountains of southern Utah. There, the sandstone hills were filled with hundreds of slot canyons that are really fun to explore and hike. On Mother's Day weekend, after a day of riding there side by side, they decided to go for a hike up Little Wild Horse Canyon. Little Wild Horse is a classic slot canyon near Goblin Valley. The main attraction is a long stretch of narrows where the deep canyon walls are so close you have to turn sideways to get through. The rock walls are sculpted and really beautiful. These deep slot canyons are normally dry, although some have some water running throughout the year. But flash floods pose a risk to people hiking these narrow canyons. Everyone knows to never enter a slot canyon if there's a significant chance of rain anywhere in the canyon's drainage area. Why? Well, with very little rainfall, sometimes just a quarter of an inch of rain, these narrow canyons can collect enough runoff to fill the slot canyon entirely with water. But as Becky and her family started their hike that day, rain wasn't on the horizon. So Becky and the kids started at the canyon while Tim ran an errand behind them. Far into the canyon as they kept hiking, they heard thunder. Then they heard thunder again. And this time they looked up and there were dark clouds and raindrops. Well, they started to hike faster, and the rain quickly turned to a downpour, and as they continued, the drops began to run down the canyon walls. Becky said, suddenly, like a lightning strike, the word run slammed into my body, echoing in my brain, and without hesitation, I caught Ellie up in my arms, her three-year-old, settled her on my hip, and said, we need to get out of here. Running as fast as we could, we leapt over rocks and slid against sidewalls as we attempted to maneuver out of the narrow canyon. As they ran, large hail started to pour down on them. Becky looked left and right, but couldn't see any high ground 
or a place to protect them from the storm. She said the temperature had dropped drastically, and a quick glance at Ellie's face showed her lips were already turning blue from the cold. With my mind reeling, I yelled, run, baby, as we entered the next narrow area. She continued, we were moving fast, but water started spraying down on top of us from above without warning. It was as if someone had taken a fire hose and directed it squarely on top of us. A sense of terror shot through me like a bullet as Ellie coughed and sputtered between screams, and I realized the water level in the canyon was rising. Well, Becky looked up and saw a ledge eight feet high on the canyon wall. She stopped, braced her legs, and told her oldest daughter to climb up on her shoulders onto the ledge. Then she would hand the three-year-old up to her sister. As she braced her legs to boost up her daughter, a blast from a wall of water hit her from behind. She lunged to grab the hand of her daughter, but the force was too strong and she lost her handhold and her older daughter was swept away. Then Becky and her younger daughter were hit with an even more powerful force of water and they started to be thrown down the canyon, buffeted against the canyon walls. Becky knew her three-year-old couldn't survive in these conditions. And the problem was Becky couldn't breathe herself. Each time she would try to get a breath of air, she was pulled back underwater. Gripping her daughter tightly to her chest, she would later say, my lungs were bursting with the need for oxygen. And at that moment, I realized that if I couldn't breathe, neither could Ellie. I had to do something. We were sinking. I needed to boost us up, but I couldn't do it without both my hands. And the crushing thought came, you need to let go of Ellie just for a second. My heart and mind recoiled at the thought, how could I do that? I needed to save her and find my daughter Kinsley but I couldn't let go. She said, I knew that if I couldn't breathe, neither could Ellie, and if I didn't do something now, I couldn't help my daughters. So to breathe, she let go of her daughter for a moment. Just then, she was pulled under and tossed against the ground in the walls of the canyon. When she got her head above water, she was suddenly thrown into a pile of debris. She was immediately stuck from the waist down. Panicked that she couldn't catch up to her girls, she stomped and wiggled her way free. And at a wider part in the canyon, she swam against the current and grasped hold of the bank. The hail and the rain were beating down relentlessly. Just then, the lifeless body of an adult swept by her. She didn't know who it was. There were several inches of ice on the ground from the hailstorm, and the white of the ice was mixed with red blood from her injuries. She felt helpless and didn't know what to do. She knew she needed to jump back into the freezing water and enter the narrow canyon below to save her girls, but she also knew she had almost died and would likely die if she did. Well, after a minute or two, a man in bare feet approached and asked if she needed help. She said, I told him between choked back sobs that I'd been hiking with my girls and the girls had been swept away. That's when his words pierced me to my core. Your husband has your oldest daughter and he's getting her medical help. Things are going to be okay. I'm going to leave you here for a minute while I check up ahead with my dad to see if everyone up there is okay. Then I'll come back and help you down the canyon. Well, the man would help her out of the canyon. When they got out, there was an ambulance waiting. As Becky approached the EMTs, they told her, I'm sorry, we did all we could, but your daughter didn't make it. Becky didn't know what to do. She was told her husband, Tim, was in the canyon looking for her three-year-old Ellie. At the start of the hike that day, Tim had run to a nearby store to get some needed supplies. As he drove back to the canyon, it had started to rain. 
In a panic, he jumped into the rushing water at the bottom of the canyon, and as he did, a lifeless body floated towards him. It was his seven-year-old daughter. He said, after scooping her out of the water, I laid her on the bank and immediately began CPR. I don't remember how long I was there working on her, but it seemed like forever, and I wasn't getting any results. So I picked her up and began running back down the trail towards the parking area, yelling, help me. He got help at the ranger station, and then Tim ran back to the river to look for Ellie. He ran up and down the canyon, checking every debris pile where his daughter could be stuck. Night soon came, making the search impossible, and early the next morning, a helicopter overhead pointed Tim and the rescue teams to a body that was spotted on the banks of Muddy Creek. There, Tim found his daughter. It was heart-wrenching for Tim and Becky, living through the funeral and burial of their two sweet girls. The time since has been both exhausting and miracle-filled for Becky. Not long ago, on the anniversary of her children's death, she returned to the canyon. There, filled with guilt and questioning her choice to hike the canyon and reliving her failure to save her girls, Becky didn't know how to rise from that low canyon, that low valley in her life. She sat there that day, and something came to her, a bit of clarity. She said it was this. Life isn't some pretty laid-out journey with a detailed explanation of what to do or not to do in any given situation. And because of that, it's bound to happen that we are all going to fall down. Things will not work out the way we want, and we will face challenging situations, but we always have a choice. Maybe not in what the situation is or its outcome, but we can choose how to respond. She said, it's important to allow yourself grace, the grace to do what's reasonable, to just do what you can, even if it's not the entire thing you had planned, acknowledging that it may take time or less time than you initially thought, but that it's okay. You don't have to be perfect or have all the answers. You just have to choose to keep going, that success is worth noting and celebrating. Because at the end of the day, nothing's promised. We get to choose each day and in each moment how we're going to show up, and these choices are what shapes our life. Although shorter than we wanted, I'm grateful we could live with our two angels. My only regret looking back is that we didn't have more time. Now, as tragic as Becky's story is, she learned something powerful in the valley of her despair. And what she learned will empower her to rise in her life. And I suspect to rise to places she may not have ever gone without the things she learned in that valley. Remember, you can change your valley into a peak when you find and use the good that is hidden in the bad time of the valley. Next, Dr. Johnson shares something important about peaks and valleys. He says the most common reason you leave a peak too soon is arrogance masquerading as confidence. And the most common reason you stay in a valley too long is fear masquerading as comfort. In the peaks of our life, sometimes we get to thinking that somehow it was us, that our success is somehow due to our brilliance or capability. But the longer I've lived, I've learned that a large part of success is when you're prepared or have been prepared for an opportunity that comes along. And behind success, there is often a measure of good luck or fortune. And why is that important? Because at the peaks in our business or life, 
what we learn and do can keep us from the valleys in our life. For example, if you're at your earning peak in your life, how do you prepare for the valleys? Well, get out of debt, set money aside, invest wisely, and secure your future because the valleys are coming. And if you're having success in your business, well, work today like you did when you started. Work on contacts, foster new business, continue to learn and grow your skills so that in the valleys that are coming, you'll be prepared to renew your organization. The second thing Dr. Johnson said is this, the most common reason you stay in a valley too long is fear masquerading as comfort. Do you think that's true? In the valleys, does fear masquerade as comfort? It often does. You know, we don't want to venture out because of fear. So we stay put and stick with what we have and we adopt less than. Perhaps your business is in a valley. And when it is, you get to thinking that the problem might be you. And as a result, you get afraid to try because somehow if you try and fail, it will validate that you're the problem. Or as you look at what it will take to grow your business, you know it is a lot of work and effort and emotional investment, and it seems easier, more comfortable just to stay where you are. Where you are is good enough. So it's important that when we're in the valleys of life to learn all we can. There is often pain in the valleys because sometimes that pain can wake us up to the truth that we've been ignoring, helping us get out of the valley that we're in. You know, I got disciplined in my investment strategy when I lost investment money in the early 2000s. I focused on being a better people person after painful feedback from people close to me that I wasn't. I worked to become a better father after the painful realization I didn't have a good relationship with my son. And those are just a few of the painful valleys in my life. And I suspect you have a few of these painful valleys in which you were forced to step out of your comfort zone. You see, if you're in a valley right now and feeling some pain, then it might be a great time to ask what you are to learn and how you can step out of your comfort zone. The concept of comfort zone has been studied extensively. Early researchers like Burns and Hersey concluded that when attempting huge leaps in and out of their comfort zone, people and organizations experience confusion and get stuck in this confusing state, never able to rise to the next level of performance. But as one author put it, the sooner you step away from your comfort zone, you'll realize that it really wasn't all that comfortable. And the sooner you step out of your comfort zone, the clearer life will be. A comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing grows there. You see, inside your comfort zone, you don't grow. And once you get a few steps out of your comfort zone, it has this outward gravity, a pull that lifts you beyond your past performance, gives you a new purpose, causes your mind to stretch, ignites change in your physiology, and makes you happy. It's called growth. And the truth is, if you want something you've never had, you've got to do something you've never done. Next, to prosper through our peaks and valleys, we need to avoid believing things are better than they really are when you're on a peak or worse than they really are when you're in a valley. There is power in seeing things as they really are. It's called reality. I've always wanted to do a podcast or write a book entitled Welcome to Your Life because too often, too many of us live somewhere other than the reality of what our life really is. You know, after graduating from college 
and not pursuing her dream to be a writer, losing her mother, participating in a failed marriage in which she was abused, and left with nothing but her daughter, J.K. Rowling fled to live with her sister in Edinburgh, Scotland. Seven years after graduating from college, years wasted with no progress towards her dream, she said to herself, I am the biggest failure I know. Her marriage had failed. She was jobless. She was a single mother, and her dreams were nowhere in sight. She signed up for welfare benefits. She suffered from deep depression and even contemplated suicide. She wondered, who am I? She had little sense of self. She felt like she was always on the verge of something great, but never able to overcome the trappings of everyday life, never grasping reality. Then something changed inside her. She said, I stopped pretending I was anything other than who I really was. I determined more than I had ever determined to do what I was meant to do, to write. I finally knew inside I was a writer. I was alive. I had a beautiful daughter and a typewriter. I always knew I could do it, but for whatever reason, I now know I will do it, she said to herself. So she would walk her baby in the stroller to help her sleep and stop to write in the local cafe. At first, she wrote the chapters in longhand on a notepad. Then at home, she would type them on an old manual typewriter, and then she'd sneak into the local college library to put them on the computer, the entire time hoping the college wouldn't realize she wasn't a student. For two years, she labored day after day and finally finished the story. The book was submitted to 12 publishing houses, and all 12 turned her down. After more than a year of knocking on doors, an independent publisher in London, who really didn't like the book, agreed to purchase the book after giving it to his daughter to read, and she loved it, so he purchased the book for 1,500 pounds. In February the next year, the book won Children's Book of the Year in Britain. The second book, a sequel to the first, also won Book of the Year two years later. And in total, all seven Harry Potter books written by J.K. Rowling have sold hundreds of millions of copies all over the world. Now, I do not believe that J.K. Rowling has a corner on the market for having a dream, but she did something that very few of us ever do. In her valley, she embraced reality. I think we pretend. Do you pretend? We pretend that someday we'll do what we originally set out to do. We pretend that we're really engaged when we let even the smallest daily activities take priority of the more important goals in our life. We pretend we have a goal when we really haven't committed to it, and we go on pretending. And days come and go, and life circumstances take us where they want to, and we live in a steady erosion of our hopes and dreams. And we get used to living below our true capability. It isn't what I hoped for, but it'll be okay. But deep down, I think you and I both know we have more to give. You can rise and shake off that habit that's holding you back. You can mount the courage to fully commit to your business and goals. And you can be the type of parent or spouse or person you know you should. So, as we end today, remember, whether you're at a peak or a valley in your life or business, they don't last. And what we learn in our peaks and valleys prepares us to handle the next peaks or valleys better. We can open our eyes to the reality that we can use peaks and valleys to step out of our comfort zone and bring about the needed change in our life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. 
And join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.